Podcast episode 286. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, a multi hyphenate. Multi hyphenate? Yes, a multi hyphenate. What is that? Well, I can tell you that is how Terrell Lamont describes himself because he is filmmaker, slash cinematographer, slash screenwriter, slash producer, slash rapper, slash one of the most unbelievably relentless creative people I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. And I can tell you, this week was a pleasure. First of all, got to give a shout out to Katie Jenkins. She sent me the press release, gave me some background on Terrell, and I said, yeah, that's definitely someone I want to talk to. So Katie Jenkins from Tyler, the Creative Publicity, terrific work. Thank you for getting me in touch with Terrell. Secondly, Terrell and I, I feel like, clicked immediately. This was such a fun show to do because Terrell has such a great vocabulary for so many things. We talk on this show about hip-hop and some of the stuff we both grew up loving. We talk about film, Scorsese, Tarantino, Coppola, the film projects he works on, our similar work ethic, getting up early in the morning, getting stuff done before your kids start nagging at you, and taking that time in the peace and quiet of the house to be able to chase what you want to chase. It's phenomenal. And I tell you all this because on top of that, Terrell is the recent recipient of a kidney. That's right. He had a kidney transplant just a couple of months ago. Crazy story that I'm not going to step on too much here because I want you to listen to the episode. This is right near the end. But when he was 18 years old, the doctors said, hey, your kidneys are going to fail at some point. At some point? What the hell does that mean? Terrell tells these stories with such nuance and such humanity and such good humor. That's the thing. I loved talking to Terrell because his music, it melted my face. It's terrific. I'll have links to the two singles that were sent to me on the companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us, also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your pods, just go into the show notes. You'll see links to everything there. But the two singles, From Nothing and Made in the 80s, both great. They both have an edge. They both have a great tension about them. And it's exactly the type of music I love. And what's so funny about that is I was a little bit intimidated coming into this episode because I go, man, look at everything this dude has accomplished. And I'm like, you know what? You got your own show. You've been doing this for seven years. Step up. Talk to him. Be a host. Be a creative. Just connect with him as a human. We did that. We had a great chat. And I cannot wait till our paths cross again. His episode's coming up in just a second, but first, got to pay a bill. Let's pay some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, trying to build a community for whatever it is that you do, whether you sell goods, services, products, maybe you're in the campaign space, but you need to reach people. 4Degrees can help you get that message right, and then, through a number of proprietary things that they have developed... They can help you get that message targeted better than just about anyone else out there. They keep winning awards for their work. They keep growing. They keep expanding. And it's because they are so good at what they do. So if you're in business and you're doing anything in the digital space, whether you're building a website, doing social media marketing, online advertising, whatever it is, 4Degrees can help you do it better. So hit them up. 
The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, let's get to episode 286 of the John of All Trades podcast. I've got Terrell Lamont. He's a multi-hyphenate. We talk music. We talk film. We talk kidney transplants. Basically, what I'm telling you is this episode rules. So without further delay, here's Terrell Lamont, episode 286 of the John of All Trades podcast, and it starts right now. Yeah, mornings are real. I'm really creative. Oh, no kidding. You well. too. Yeah. Uh, my life is kind of hectic during the day. I got I got a, kind of a big family and a, a lot of responsibilities that I'm doing in the day. So the house is quiet in the morning. So I can I can really be alone with my thoughts. And so if I can get up at four or five, I will. Wow, really? Um, if, I'm, if I don't stay up too late the night before just to get a head start in the day. Because I think that's when I'm most creative, yeah. Do you have young kids? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how old are your kids? <laughs> I, you know, I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of children. I have I have older children that are. I am an adult child actually that just graduated, graduated or is in college right now. Nice. And then I and then my young all the way down to my youngest kid who who's about five years old. Okay, so I am right there with you because my kids are six and a half and four and a half, pretty much. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, man, when they get up and my kids yeah, wake up like CEOs too, they're, they're just like, they get dressed and they're like, Hey, let's start the day. And I go, yeah. daddy's got to wake up a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, having, having kids, you'll learn to kind of get going. Like there was a, a script that I was writing years ago that it was just kind of really, really intense, but my life was really busy. So I woke up at like three thirty, four o'clock every day just to get two hours of writing in before the day started. Yeah. Otherwise I was never going to get to it. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna so. you're gonna lose it, and uh, <laughs> I feel you on that, dude. I don't know about you, but I also treat it like I think it's either Walter Payton or Gail Sayers. You give uh -huh. me 18 inches of daylight, or however big that is on Zoom, um, I will find some time to get done what I need to get done. Are you the mm -hmm. same way? Yeah, exactly. You have to because you get once the day gets going, you get pulled in 17 different directions. You have tons of I have tons of responsibilities and things like that. So uh, you got to make time for the things that are important to you. Uh, otherwise you'll look back and be like, where did the day go? I didn't get anything done. Or so I like getting up early. Uh, if I can, sometimes I stay up too late to get up early, but if I can get up early, that's the best time to be creative. I, I feel you on that too, because there are days where I feel like I'm busy all day, but accomplish very, very little. So yeah, I feel that too. There's, I get really frustrated when I feel like, man, I didn't do anything today, but just run errands or just do a bunch of stuff that I didn't want to do. Um, but if you can find even 20 minutes somewhere to just, work on whatever project you're working on or whatever you really want to focus on. That's, that's something, man. I always say slow motion is better than no motion. So you just, <laughs> if, you can, if you can chip away at something, that's better than not doing anything at all. 100%. My friend Alan Brooks talks about that all the time. He's like, people mm -hmm. always say, I have this idea and it's like, great, do it. Well, first mm -hmm. I need to do this or first I need to do that. And you go, yeah. nope, nope. That's, that's yeah. not how it works. No, it'll never get done. If you, if, I mean, there's a, there's a million excuses not to do things. You know, you got to find that one or two reasons to do it and, and stick to it because you can always find reasons not to do something that you're passionate about or, or whatever. Well, 100%. And so this is Terrell Lamont and you are a multi-hyphenate, which is something I'd never <laughs> heard before uh, and something that I thought was really, really clever. Can you talk to me about what the multi-hyphenate represents? Yeah, I, 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 I feel like this. it's hard to wrap up what I do in one word. Or even sometimes a phrase. I have a lot of different, I would say, talents, even though I hate using that word. There's a lot of different things that I feel like I, I'm drawn to. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm what they call a highly creative, super creative person. I always want to do something in the creative realm. 
And so uh, I'm a film director, uh, but I'm also a cinematographer. I'm a screenwriter, but I'm also a songwriter. Uh, I'm, I am a music producer, but I'm also a rapper. Uh, you know, and I also like to, to draw and paint and all this other stuff too. Uh, I probably one day I'll sit down and get into sculpting and things like, I just love art and, and, and expressing myself in a creative way and whatever way I can. And I'm not saying that I'm the best at every, all these things, but I just, I'm so drawn to these things that, um, not doing them would, would feel incomplete in my life. And so, uh, it's just easier to say, yeah, I'm kind of a multi-hyphenate because I'm like, yeah, rapper slash film director slash cinematographer slash it's just too much to say. So it's just like, yeah, I kind of do a lot of different things. Right. It's a lot um, of word salad. So you gotta, you yeah. gotta get it down to its core essence. And I think you've done a nice yeah. job of that. Um, I was made aware of you because you've got a couple of new singles out. Uh, one called Made in the eighties and the other one called From Nothing. And, uh, I gotta tell you, man, they both, they, uh, both of them melted my face because they're right in my wheelhouse. I loved them both. Uh, absolutely 100% and uh, as I was reading up on you um, you kind of fell out of love with creating music for a while Um, Mm -hmm. and what was that about like what happened that that led you away and what ultimately brought you back yeah if I can if I can go into just a little bit of my history really quick um, and by all means I'd love to hear it all right yeah I I grew up in music Uh, my dad was and still is a musician even though I didn't grow up with my dad I feel like um, I had a, a lot of his kind of DNA and, and, and skill set. Um, but my dad went to the same high school as Prince. They used to skip class together and play music in the music room and things like that. You know, I was just drawn to music at a very early age. And, uh, it was probably 1987, 88, somewhere around there. I was a little kid walking down. I was hanging out with my friends outside, just not doing anything. And I found this tape on the ground and I said, well, what is this? I looked at it. I, I looked, grabbed it and it was LL Cool J yeah. bad. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I didn't know what hip hop music was. So I went home and put it in my little boombox that I had. And I said, what is this? Totally. And I was completely blown away by it. I fell in love with hip hop immediately. And immediately from there, uh, if there was a little bit of like instrumental at the end of the song, I would try to rap. I would just, you know, whatever, whatever eight year olds <laughs> raps about at that time, I, I would try to, I try to do it. Uh, and then when I kind of got into junior high, I hooked up with uh, some friends and we, we kind of just, started rapping and singing and dancing and doing all kinds of stuff, performing in talent shows and stuff like that. And I just, it just grabbed me. And so as I, I, I continued in music and, uh, got by the way, where, start, where was this? Like what, what this part of the in, country? This is in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And so in, in Minneapolis at that time, you know, I don't, I don't know about the socioeconomics of Minneapolis, but I mean, you've yeah. alluded to growing up in a rough neighborhood. Yeah. Um, were there kids like you or were you kind of like, like far outside the norm and were you, were you surrounded by a bunch of white kids? No, uh, Minneapolis is extremely diverse. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up around all kinds of people, um, you know, immigrants, foreigners, black people, white people, sure. you know, uh, you know, so I actually learned how to adapt to, to a lot of different types of people very, very early. Um, but a lot of my, we, we were part of the latchkey generation. If you, if you know about that, uh, we kind of just grew up without much supervision. What, what year so were you we, born? I was born in 1980. Okay. So I was born 81. Okay. Um, yeah. So I know it well, and my my parents will bristle about that a little bit. And I wasn't like a little kid coming home, but yeah. there were times where I was like home alone. I'd be like nine years mm-hmm. old, mm-hmm. and yeah. like I think about doing that now with my own kids, and it gives me pause, and it's just kind of weird, right? Like it, <laughs> it's totally different, totally different times too. I don't I don't feel like uh, people mess with kids as much as they as they do nowadays, <laughs> and so I can feel a little more protective. But yeah, back then I was I hung out with my friends. My mom hardly ever knew where I was or what I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, and so. You know, I kind of learned a lot just 
just hanging out, just being around different types of people and seeing different types of things. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I mean, so grew up in the music stuff and the music scene and and a lot, anybody that knew my dad and they knew I was in music, they'd be like, oh man, your dad was really good. Are you as good as him? Uh, just to give you a little background on him, he's a, he's a, he's a phenomenal like keyboard and organ player and all like, he's just phenomenal. Um, and I was like, no, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, he didn't teach me anything. <laughs> so, so, you know, anyways, as an, as an adult, I, I started my own recording studio. Uh, I started mixing and mastering and making beats and rapping and doing all this stuff, performing and, and doing tours and things, you know, about 2010, I started to feel kind of burnt out from it. Um, I didn't really like where the industry was, was at at the time. And I, I didn't really like where it was going. And, but I had like clients coming to me that I was recording and they were like, Hey, do you know anything about music videos? Can you shoot a music video? And I said, I don't know anything about it, but enough people asked me. So I was like, let me go take some classes or let me learn how to use a camera or something. And then I absolutely fell in love with film. And right around the same time that I was feeling the burnout for music, I felt re-energized by the art of storytelling through cinema. Uh, and so I, you know, slowly kind of phased music out of my life and really got into, uh, to, to film where I started a film production company and, and, uh, was able to shoot and direct my first feature film, uh, several years back. And, and, uh, now I'm, now I have two feature films under my belt. I have a television series that I'm working on and things like that, but it wasn't like the last year with, uh, with COVID and everything and kind of being isolated, I kind of started to get in the itch for music again. I was like, well, can't really do a whole lot in film right now, but I need to be creative. And so I kind of just started dibbling and dabbling and the fire started to come back a little bit. I said, you know, I might be able to do this again. So what, what was it about the music scene in 2010 that was turning you off, that, that was pushing you away, that made you go, yeah, this ain't for me. I'm not sure. You know, I, as, as far as in the, in, in, in the, the hip hop world, I didn't necessarily like where the music was going. And then I, as a, a studio owner, I felt like musicians are flaky as hell. <laughs> I just felt like, <laughs> Uh, you know, they would book studio time or this and that. And I'd be tracking people down to, to pay me or or whatever. And it was just getting so exhausting because it wasn't just like one or two people. It was like everybody. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I just started getting burnt out from that. And and uh, and I was getting becoming less creative with my own music and things. And I, you know, I kind of felt like I needed a break from it. Sure. Um, well, at the time, I thought I was done with it because I had got this new new fire for film. And I was like, well, maybe I'm walking away from music. Yeah, so. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, as someone who has helped put on a couple of music festivals, musicians mm -hmm. can be a huge pain in the ass to deal with, uh, <laughs> d d depending yes. on them. And, yeah. you know, I've been listening. So I grew up really into like punk rock. Uh -huh. And so punk, very DIY scene. And what's so funny is there's this reputation with punk rock where, you know, difficult to deal with, really like just super anti-authority. But the ones mm -hmm. that last, like, know what side their bread is buttered on, right? They'll right. show up on time. They're friendly to people. Right. They treat the crew with respect. They yeah. treat the, the studio with respect. And then they go out and they're obnoxious on their own time. <laughs> but, like, the the ways in which you conduct yourself with anyone is a good lesson, no, no matter what kind of industry you're in or no matter mm -hmm. what kind of aesthetic or bravado you're kind of putting out there as an artist. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And. And I, I'm not even going to say that I w I'm above that. There was, there was times where I was like that too, where I wasn't really respecting the process and respecting the people around me and things like that. And, and one thing being in the film industry uh, taught me is it, it really taught me how to be a consummate professional because when you're dealing with, you know, the amount of money that it takes to make a film and, and investors and, you know, people that are financially, uh, you know, involved in the projects that you're working on, you can't, you can't be a jackass, right? You can't be somebody that's, 
you're dealing with a lot of money and, and, and it's on you to make sure that you're respecting that and respecting the process. So I, I feel like being a filmmaker taught me how to be a real professional oh, and, yeah. and, and now putting these things together where now I know how to, I, I know better than ever how to be professional as a filmmaker and as a musician. Uh, and I, I just think I'm in a good place now. I, I so, think that makes good sense too. And especially as a filmmaker, one of the things I've interviewed uh, a handful of filmmakers on one of the official podcasts of Denver film festival mm-hmm. is you need to somehow communicate the vision that you have to a lot of different types of people and mm-hmm. how that all works together because you can't necessarily be on top of every single second of every single department, whether that's right. art or wardrobe or camera right. or sound, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you have to get people to buy into a vision. And if you're a dick, then people go, well, like whatever, let's just yeah. get it done. But if you get right. people excited, then your, your vision becomes reality in a much uh, more robust kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're dealing with like investors or other producers, um, a lot of times they'll get involved with the projects because they like and respect you. And sure. It might not even be the project or, or anything like that. I mean, film is inherently risky. Most investors know they're going to probably lose their money when they put the money into it. So they got to they got to trust you as a professional and as a as being a good you know stand up human being. Uh, and so you're selling yourself a lot of times. One hundred percent. When you got into film, I mean, I like we all grew up kind of watching movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. But when you got into film more seriously. Were there filmmakers that you kind of took a lot of inspiration from, either the way they conducted themselves in terms of creating a movie or the vision that they put out there? Were there were there ones that you kind of look at and go, "Yep, that really turned a corner for me." Yeah, I, I, there's I, I have a, a long list of filmmakers that I look up to and respect. I love Martin Scorsese uh, because no matter how uh, long he's been in the industry, he respects the process of filmmaking. He he actually approaches it like an independent film. Even if he's got millions and millions of dollars to make his movie, he still approaches it the same way he did, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago or whatever. Right. Uh, and, I, and I respect that so much. Listening to him talk, he talks about just being a student of film and still learning. I'm like, man, this dude's a master. He's been around forever, made <laughs> totally. Godfather and all these great movies. Uh, and he still talks about learning and, and getting better and things like that. And that that's important to me because I feel like we're never at the point where we've nailed it or we've we've reached the top so you know to where we don't need to grow anymore or, or learn anything like that and so i really respect scorsese uh, as soon as you think that i don't need to learn anymore you're done right. it's over yeah it's, it's over it's over <laughs> you're, you're so cooked just being just just folk constantly wanting to grow and learn especially learning from other people and other people's experiences and things like that um it's extremely important and and so when I heard him talk like that, I'm like, this dude has made masterpieces. Yeah. You know, uh, I think The Irishman is one of the best movies ever made. It's beautiful. You know, I don't know. So Scorsese is one. I you know I love a lot of different filmmakers: Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino. You know, I, I love the filmmakers that even though they've had Hollywood success, they keep that indie spirit, and they they know how to go out and, and create their vision and tell their story. And yeah, I just I just love that about them. I I absolutely agree with you. And. I, I think keeping that indie spirit is absolutely essential to continuing to grow. And there's always something new to learn. Their technology is advancing at a crazy rate. Um, there's new kinds of stories to be told. And I mean, yeah. I, I just watched for the first time last year, the movie mean streets, which mm-hmm. I mean that, what was that? That was Scorsese's like first one, wasn't it? it Second was, one. It was, it was early in his career for sure. It was, yeah, might've been his second or third, but it was early in his career. It, it was early. And I, God, I remember watching De Niro on that. I'm like, he is unhinged in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. And, uh, I, I watched that movie and I go, okay, Tarantino makes more sense to me now too. 
Yeah. Because I mean, I'm I'm like a huge Tarantino super freak, and I yeah. had I hadn't seen Mean Streets before. But you know, you go back and you kind of study Scorsese or Sergio Leone, or yeah. even John Ford, who's making you know yeah. these these westerns. And you're thinking to yourself, you're like, wow, like younger me wouldn't have appreciated this. But as I get older, I can learn a lot from watching this. And, and yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it on a different level, too. Yeah. Well, I have to, I have to correct myself because I said, because says you made Godfather. I made Goodfellas. Right. Um, I know I know Copeland Cop- made uh, <laughs> Godfather. But but yeah, I, I man, there's certain movies that I I, I wasn't ready for at, at, you know, at a different point in my life. And then sometimes it's like that. That's what I love about film, because. It, it lasts forever. And so somebody picks up a film 40, 50 years later, and like, this is amazing. Or they might not have been ready to receive it, you know, a while ago or whatever when you were younger. Or sometimes you're just not in a place to receive a, a film at that time. You watch it later, and you're like, this is, this is brilliant. Well, There's films that I, I thought that were boring and I hated before, and I watch <laughs> them now. I'm like, this is a masterpiece. Well, so. Absolutely. So I was thinking about this the other day because I was just flipping through cable, and, like, Coneheads was on, right? So this mm-hmm. SNL movie. That's, yeah. that's probably made 15 years too late, like when you get right down to it. Uh, yeah. But I was watching it, and sometimes things beyond the, the total control or scope of the movie will happen. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening to this weird dialogue that these coneheads speak in, I thought the only other person, the only other character I've ever heard who could deliver this dialogue convincingly is Moira Rose from Shit's oh, yeah. Creek. Uh-huh. Because she has a very unusual and sort of like overly formal way of speaking. And I go, she could mm-hmm. slot right in here. And mm-hmm. just fit, and that recontextualized that just kind of goofy throwaway movie yeah. for me, and made me yeah. appreciate it on a different level. I go, wow, the writing yeah. involved in that is yeah. pretty intense. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad movie, and it, it's got some. I good love it. I mean, some good commentary about about us as, as human beings as well. Absolutely, the process of making a feature. You said you're in the middle of working on a TV series right now. Yeah, well, we're, we're in a, we have a series right now, and I say we. Uh, I have a team, Grit House. We were formerly Grit House Films, and now we're just going with Grit House now that we're doing music as well. So, um, But we are doing a series entitled Broke Boys, and it's basically in the science. I don't know if you've ever seen Atlanta. Um, uh-huh. It's in the same, same vein as Atlanta, where we're following two friends who kind of struggle through, fumble through their own personal issues, uh, you know, social economic issues, racism, and things like that, to try to make their first feature film. And it's it's a it's a blend of comedy and drama. Some things are outrageously funny, and some things are uh, you know pulling the heartstrings a little bit as we as we follow these two friends trying to make their first feature. Dude, Donald Glover is a real force of nature. I remember like Atlanta's a weird show to watch sometimes because you never know exactly what you're going to get tone wise. Right. And so is that something that you're into? Kind of, um, I I like it because it I'm always on my toes, and it's always yeah. keeping me guessing. Yeah. But do you take inspiration from Atlanta in that way or just kind of in the, it sounds like a little bit of nonlinear storytelling as well. Yeah. My, my, my show is a little more linear than that, but um, I, I do look up to the Donald Glover. He's actually one of the artists that I looked at that gave me the confidence to get back into music. I said, well, he's doing music and he's doing TV and film and he's writing and, and, and he's doing all kinds of things. And I said, why, why can I do it? You know? Um, because when you look out, it's, you know, there's, you don't really see that very often where people are, doing it at a high level, professional level, where they're kind of dabbling in, in two different industries. Uh, and and when I saw him do it, I was inspired. I was like, I can I can do something like that too. You know, uh, you know, we're different artists in, in a way, but I love his music. I love, I love his writing. I love his commentary in, in the show Atlanta. I, he's able to point out things without being preachy or without being, you know, beat you over the head with this yeah. and still make it funny and entertaining and things like that, where 
uh, you know, it's not off-putting at all. Um, he's 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 a very bold, bold artist, and and I really appreciate him a lot. He is unreal because, like most people, right? I don't know about most people, but like many people, I first saw him on Community, and he was mm-hmm. great, really funny in that. And then I became aware of Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, so what's this about? And I listen to it. I go, wow, this is really fucking good, too. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, you go, yeah. wow, how is this this good? And, like, he'll write rhymes that are that are really pointed but also funny. You know, like, mm-hmm. she had Bush in the back like Gavin Rossdale's drummer. And I thought, man, <laughs> what what a line. that Like that. And then, so you said two, right? So he's, he's a great actor and he's a mm-hmm. great MC, great musician. He's also a great stand-up. Yeah, I saw a stand-up special, and I was I was blown away by that too. I'm like, is there anything this guy can't do? <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm extremely inspired by by him and his his uh, his confidence to do things. Like he, at first, I knew him as I, I kind of saw him on Community at first, and then I you know like you found Childish Gambino, and I was like, oh, he's he's a cool rapper too. He's pretty good. Yeah. And he starts singing, and I'm like, this guy <laughs> can sing as well. I'm like, this is unbelievable, man. I. I was like, is there anything this guy can't do? Uh, and he's, he's been a huge inspiration for, for how I'm kind of crafting my career now. Well, I, I think that makes sense, too, because, I mean, you, you look at a song like This Is America, mm-hmm. and especially that video, I mean, taken together, that, that hit me like know. a freight train the first time I saw it. I don't it. know if there's a better music video that I've seen in my lifetime than This Is America. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's up there with anything that's ever, ever been, that's ever, I've considered great. Just I've watched it so many times and each time I get a different experience from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the song, when I listen to the song, I'm like, how did he come up with this? This is a genius on another level, man. Just oh. and then his messaging and the way he changed his flow. And I was I'm super impressed by by him. He's, he's one of the most talented people I've ever I've ever seen. That song in a weird way reminds me of Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen mm-hmm. because it goes through so many different movements mm-hmm. and has so much to say about so many different types of things yeah yeah to where it, you're right it's it's unparalleled sort of in its especially in its aesthetic yeah but also in its construction mm-hmm. um so yeah i am with you 100 percent. and the other thing i wanted to bring up too because this, this is my favorite quote from you i got a press release from you uh talking about how we grew up on drug dealer music <laughs> Y'all are growing up on drug user music. That landed hard for me, which is why I don't listen to a ton of modern hip hop either. Uh-huh. Um, I yeah. tend to when I'm when I'm in a hip hop mood, I tend to go back and listen to yeah. some of the older stuff. Right. Um, we had some friends over, and we were watching the video for "Slam" by Onyx. Mm-hmm. And man, watching Sticky Fingers do what he does <laughs> is almost terrifying. Yeah, because he has yeah. such a ferocity and such an urgency. Yeah. And as I listened to that, I was thinking about that type of music when I listened to From Nothing. There's an undercurrent of almost tension. There's mm-hmm. like there's a little bit of dread. There's an unreal guitar in it. And and it kind of brought me back to that early nineties aesthetic. So I've thrown mm-hmm. a lot at you. I'd love your reaction to any of it. <laughs> First of all, I was a huge Onyx fan when I was when I was younger. I just loved loved hip hop growing up. I just I really loved it. I love lots of different music too. I had I had a friend, I had some skater friends and we listened to like Def Leppard and Iron Maiden. And, and, and then I got with my hip hop friends and we listened to Wu-Tang and we listened to Onyx and, and, and that, and Tribe Called Quest and that kind of stuff. So and I got a well-rounded, uh, you know, I, a pretty eclectic uh, view of music. And I, I love, I, I love good music. I do, I make hip hop music, but I love good music. And one thing that was important to me from, from nothing 
is I wanted to put some guitar in to kind of bring some of that rock feel because I, I love Jimi Hendrix. I love Carlos Santana. I love Slack. I love like really good guitar players yeah. that can that can really, you know, really go. Uh, and so I, I, I wanted that. And even as I make music now, I'm constantly leaning towards, oh, I could use a guitar here. I could, I could do something that, you know, um, there was a time where I was like, maybe I'll start a kind of a raging against the machine type band, nice. you know, where I'm rapping and, and we're rocking out and stuff like that. Uh, Cause I, I love that too. So um, rage, one of my yeah. all time favorite bands. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your point, you think about the, the guitar hook in like Billy Jean, you know, Michael uh-huh. Jackson using that and yeah. you know, that kind of, or uh, run DMC crossing over with Aerosmith mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and you go, yeah, like this is, this is badass. And yeah. rage took it to, almost like it's a logical endpoint up to yeah. the point that they started making it. And now, you know, it's yeah. gone from there, but you go, Oh man, this can get married up in a way that mm-hmm. I don't think anyone ever expected. So, yeah, well, this is what I love about hip hop music and it better than any other genre. It can mash with any genre. Yeah. You can, you can put Beethoven that play hip hop beat and it works. You can, you can do rock, walk this way with Aerosmith and it works, you know, and, you can do all the, I mean, little Nas X comes out with a country slash hip hop song <laughs> totally. that, 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 that goes wild, you know? So it's like, I love how flexible the genre is because it kind of works with all different types of music. And even as I'm producing, I'm sampling from old like ragtime music or, or whatever, yeah. and you can make it work. And it's just, a, it's a very special genre in that way. If, if you think about a song like uh, Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dogg, mm-hmm. it, it's taking a sample from a Michael McDonald track, mm-hmm. like exactly. just, just this Yacht Rock exactly. song. And uh-huh. There was one time, like I was, I was listening to a yacht rock station on Sirius XM for whatever reason, and that song came on. I go, "Why are they playing Regulate?" And then he comes in with his warbly, like high pitched voice. He's like, "I keep uh-huh. forgetting." And I go, <laughs> "I go, oh whoa, wait a minute, hold on." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just hip hop is a very special genre to me, and it's very frustrating to see where it's come from to where it's seemingly headed because it. It, you, it seems like, it, and I don't want to diss anybody that's doing their thing. I respect everybody that's out there grinding. But it seems like at, a, at the time, hip-hop was about showcasing your ability, your skill, and, and trying to find a way to, you know, communicate your life and your hardships and, and whatever, you know, your perspective on whatever, whether it's street life or whatever it was. And, and now it's kind of shifted to where it's just, let's see how much money we can make. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, let's make something catchy, even if it doesn't make any sense. Let's just get people to stream it or buy it or whatever. And of course, we do this professionally. We want we want to make money on it, but I don't necessarily want to make money at the expense where I, I'm just putting out gibberish or I'm not putting out. If I have nothing to say. Yeah, um, or, or yeah. Know. I mean, based on what you're saying, it sounds like you don't want to put out anything facile or anything like surface level or. No, you know, sometimes I think about it like, oh, I could make a you know a hit song that sounds like such and such or so and so, and I keep going back to, you know, just be you, just do your thing, and 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 and. Because that's one thing that I feel like no one else can do. No one else can be me. Yeah. You know, I, I can copy other people and do what everybody else is doing, but no one else can be me. Yeah. And I think that's my that's my strongest skill set is just being authentically me. Uh, I agree with you 100%. And we've brought up Donald Glover a couple of times now and Rage Against the Machine. And your, your track Made in the 80s has a yeah. lot of commentary. There's references to Reagan and the war on drugs and things like that. Yeah. Do you embrace being political in your art or is that something that you try to downplay? What's your feelings on your role in providing political commentary? Yeah, I think I'm just an observer. Uh, Not just an observer, but a lot of times I'm observing. May May in the 80s was, as a kid, I didn't know what this stuff meant. I didn't know what 
Reagan economic, economics meant in, in the war on drugs. I didn't understand that as a kid, but I was affected by it. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and you see people on the streets. I was, I, I grew up a, around drug culture a lot, a lot of selling and using and stuff like that. And you see it and you, you don't know how to process it as an eight year old. You don't know what it is. You just, it's just there. Um, you know, and experiencing racism and things like that at a very young age. Uh, and so sometimes it's just about sharing my experience and, and what I've seen and, and how it shaped me. And that's a big, that's a big part of the eighties, how it shaped me as a kid and just watching this crazy world around me. Cause we're coming out of the seventies, which was influenced by the sixties. And so we're, we're in a new era and it's, it's a weird era. Um, music <laughs> is, music is changing. It's becoming electronic and weird and culture is changing art, fashion, everything. And it kind of just shaped it influenced me a lot in, in who I am and how I see the world today. And so that's kind of what I was trying to trying to do with Made in the 80s. It's, 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 it's a big part of my life. I think one of the fallacies that some people will be guilty of is they'll say, you know, I'm not a political person. And you go – and what you're saying is you can't not be a political person if you exist in America. Right, right. You're always affected by politics. Right. Whether you want to, to talk about it or not, you're affected by it. Sure. And and if you say, you know, like, I, you know, I don't really engage with politics, usually that's coming from a position of privilege, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, usually I hear sort of older folks say that, you know, I don't really like getting involved in politics. It's like, well, it's because you don't have to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Whereas that's true. your experience, you know, the, the policies of the Reagan administration that filtered down through mm -hmm. the cities and towns all throughout America, yeah. they're going to affect you whether you want to or not. Now, yeah. if you're kind of a rich Caucasian person, then maybe they don't. And you get to live mm -hmm. your existence without having to think about this ever. Yeah. But, yeah. But in your case, I mean, what you're expressing to me is it's going to affect you whether you want to or not. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I didn't know it was affecting me, but right. I, saw, exactly. I saw this stuff, you know, I, I lived in some rough neighborhoods where I, I see the police come in and they're dragging people that I know out and handcuffing them and, and I don't know what's going on. And, and, and you know, just, and then I'm just, I'm seeing, you know, drug deals happen right in front of me. And then just, I'm seeing all this, this stuff and it, it, it did, it shaped me. It really affected me and influenced me. Um, but it kind of gave me a, uh, and I, and I, I even kind of allude to this in the song where it made me want to do better. It made me more ambitious. It made, it just gave me a thick skin, a toughness that I, I, I think some people in the younger generation, they might not have experienced or might not have because I, I've seen just a lot of stuff and been through a lot of stuff. And and uh, and you got to have thick skin if you're going to pursue any anything that's worth pursuing. It's, it's tough. It's a tough industry out there. Whatever industry you're in, they're, they're tough. it's easy to go out and sit at a desk and do a job. But if you're trying to make something yourself and do something different, it's tough. And you got to be tough. You got to be tough as nails to do it. And I feel like the 80s was part of that making me making me tough. I, I agree with you. And going back to the drug user versus drug dealer music. Right. If you think about the guys who are dealing drugs, you know, like I would imagine anyone listening to this show has heard Biggie's story uh, any uh -huh. number of times. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're going out and doing what you have to do to survive. And that, mm -hmm. that is a method of survival. Right. Is the commentary on drug dealer music versus drug user music. Uh, is that a commentary on being almost too comfortable with where we are or, I, uh, you know what? I'm putting words in your mouth. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you explain it. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you brought up Biggie, who I respect, obviously, immensely. Uh, I think anybody who appreciates hip-hop hip music will respect what Biggie was able to make of his, himself growing up the way he did. He did what he had to do to try to survive. He even said in, in, in Juicy that he was just trying to feed his daughter, and they were calling the police on him and things like that. That's a totally different 
different thing than somebody who's, you know, high and lean all the time or, or, or constantly, you know, whatever, choosing to, to live this lifestyle. You know, you hear Jay-Z and he, he would say, I sold drugs so you didn't have to sell drugs. I, I did this so I could show you a better way. That, that was the kind of music I grew up on. They talked about it, but it was never in, I love this lifestyle. This is yeah. glorifying, you know, and now we've kind of gotten to this place where we glorify it to where we think it's actually good for us to be a high out of our minds all the time on whatever. And I don't necessarily agree with that, uh, that lifestyle. And, and I don't necessarily agree with that, that message that is, 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 is being put out to the younger generation. I, I think it's, it's kind of leading us down the wrong path. You know, in a lot of ways, and I, I'm not, you know, I don't think either of us is interested in turning this into a culture war against, you know, younger generations or whatever. Right. But right. what I, what I will, what I will say is I've built my business on what I call ditch digging, like doing mm-hmm. the things that no one else wants to do. Right. And so like, if you're willing to put in the work, good things will usually follow. Granted, there right. are opportunities and there, you know, you make connections and things like that and you have to recognize mm-hmm. opportunity. But if you're willing to do what other people won't, I mean, you, talking about earlier in this interview, just waking up at three and four in the morning so that you can write, so you can make this happen. Cause you know what? You got obligations throughout the day. And you know, to your point, I don't know that there's enough of that type of message or imagery out there. And it it feels like we could use a little more. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least for me growing, like growing up in the eighties and the nineties or whatever, you don't have this. I didn't at least, and maybe some, some people did. I didn't have this sense of entitlement. Right. I never felt like anything was owed to me or I deserved anything. I always felt like you had to work for whatever you were going to go after and, and you had to work hard for it. And that was just something that was, I don't know if it was instilled in, in me by somebody or, or something I just kind of figured out on my own. But once again, we're not trying to, I'm not trying to diss the younger generation or anything like that, but there is a lot of sense of entitlement. You know, I put out a song so people should listen to it or I did this or that, I should have this many followers or this many. It's just like, this is a grind, man. Everything is a grind. I teach that to my kids. You know, I have a son who wants to play ball in the NBA. And I said, okay, then you got to bust your ass. You got to bust your ass harder than anybody else because it's not easy, but I'm not going to tell him he can't do it. I said, you can do it if you're willing to put in the work. Uh, But there is, I feel like there's a sense of entitlement from from some people like, oh, I I did something. So now everybody should love what I did. And it's just like, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> right. It's like Mona Lisa Saperstein from Parks and Rec, like, money, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but the internet has kind of made us think that that's, that's reality, too. Right. Make, get rich quick. You know, all the different things that people try to do to get rich quick and things like that. And just, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a hard worker. I put my, put my head down and just go to work. Well, and I think you'd have to be, because one thing we have not touched on that, that plays heavily in your origin story is talking about your kidneys. Yeah, because and and I'm curious how much of that influenced your thinking, and at what at what point did it? At the age of 18, I found out that my kidneys were going to fail. Yeah, um, I was actually going to go to the military. And, and wait, 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 why why were they why were they failing? Like what 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 did you have? Like what was it? It's it's genetic. Okay, uh, from what I understand, um, my my grandmother actually died fairly young from from kidney disease, and my uncle as well. Um, and so when I was 18, I was going to go into the military and, um, well, as I was doing all the testing and things like that, one of the doctors came up to me and said, Hey, there's, there's, uh, some protein in your urine. You need to get this checked out until we figure this out. You can't, you can't, we can't accept you. Uh, so I went to the doctor and I said, sure enough, you're 18, your kidneys are going to fail at some point, but there's really nothing we can do about it. And I had no, no symptoms of anything, nothing. They said, it's going to be a while. Um, to try to try to watch your diet and your salt intake and kind of sent me on my way. 
what, what like that had to be unsatisfying at best because like all of a sudden they've just put this sort of Damocles over you that you have no idea when it's going to fall. Yeah. And I didn't really understand it. And hindsight, I wish I would have done some different things and took care of myself a little better in my, in my younger years, but I didn't understand it. And, and the way kidney, the kidney disease works is you have no symptoms until you do. And once you do, you're crashing and you're crashing hard. So when, when you have no symptoms as a young person, you think I'm living life normally or whatever. I can eat fast food. I can do all this stuff that yeah. you're really kind of not really supposed to do. Um, so yeah, my, so about five, six years ago, I got the news that my kidneys had declined significantly and still didn't feel many, many symptoms. I didn't feel many things, but then shortly after that, um, I started feeling, you know, all the, all the urea, uh, urea, whatever they call it kidney failure symptoms. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I went from 50% kidney function to 20% to, to 15% Jeez. to 9% within a few, within a few years. And, uh, you know, being sick all the time and low energy and, and all these different things, um, trying to overcome that and still have a, a, you know, still making films and trying to have this creative career. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been tough. I can only imagine. And it, I had in one of my very early episodes on this show, I talked to a registered dietitian and she worked with dialysis patients quite a bit. And what I know of dialysis, which you did, how long did you do dialysis for? I did dialysis for a few years. Okay. For yeah. a few years. Yeah. Uh, what I know about dialysis is it's time consuming. It's a grind and it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Is that all fair? Yeah. Yes. And it's very depressing. Yeah. Uh, so I did my dialysis at home. And it got to the point where I had to be hooked up to a machine 11 hours a day. Oh, God. 11 hours and, a day, like just to live, yeah. right? Yeah, just to stay alive. Uh, and I kept having thought that I'm going to die in this machine. I'm going to die in this machine. Because that's all, you, it's all, it's all that goes through your head is I'm hooking up to this machine and it's keeping me alive. But, you know, like I've known people that have died on dialysis. And I, I kept thinking my life's going to get cut short here. And it was it was very tough to still pursue the things I was pursuing and, and raising kids and, and things like that. And, and, uh, I, I kind of, a lot of people didn't know how sick I really was. You know, there was a time where I was throwing up three to five times a day, Ugh. uh, couldn't sleep. And there's just so many different things that I was going through, but I was trying to kind of keep that, suppress that and keep that hidden from most people because it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight. It was, it was very, very ugly. Well, I mean, and you had to be a skeleton at that point. Well, I, yeah, I started, I mean, I'm still trying to recover from that. I've, I, I lost like, 40 pounds almost in, in, a, in a month, 40, 40 <laughs> like, pounds in a month and like, like, in like a month and a half, probably yeah, I lost a lot of weight and, and uh, yeah, but I mean, recently a couple months ago, I, I got a kidney transplant and that was something that I didn't think was going to happen uh, anytime soon. As I continued to feel myself decline, I felt like an old man. I felt I'm 40 now. I felt 70. I, I didn't feel strong. I didn't feel like I could do much. I'm here. I am trying to be this indie filmmaker and all these different yeah. things. Uh, and I just felt miserable. And now I feel, I feel young. I feel, I feel energetic. I feel, I feel like I'm getting strong. I'm still kind of recovering, but I'm getting stronger. And, and, uh, I have a lot more hope than I did even six months ago. Well, and now you've got more hours in the day too, because if you're hooked up to dialysis 11 hours a day, I mean, that's, that doesn't leave a lot of room to do much just from a pure yeah. hours in the day kind of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily I was able to do most of that while I was sleeping, but I don't, I've never been a person to sleep eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Yeah. So <laughs> that, like I sleep, I sleep about five to six hours a day. So most of that time I'm awake while I'm 
hooked up to this machine. And so, yeah, uh, there were some dark times. I think last summer when we were quarantined and I was on dialysis, uh, it got pretty dark for me. I, I, I really went to a not, not so good place mentally and emotionally. I was, I was really struggling because I, I just felt like my life was over. I felt like this is, this is what it's going to be. And so you said a couple of months ago, you've gotten a kidney transplant. How's your body responding? It's good. Um, yeah, the, 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 the recovery process, I'm still in, you know, a bit of pain or whatever, but I'm getting stronger every day and, and I'm still able, I have a, I have a recording set up in my, in my bedroom that I'm still able to do some things. And, and, uh, I meet with my business partners once, twice a week and doing what I can from home. Uh, when you have a kidney transplant, all your whole immune system is suppressed. So if I got COVID or something like that, I'm guaranteed to pretty much die or at best lose the kidney, the new kidney that I got. So yeah. I've been isolated for a few months and doing a lot of zoom meetings and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's gotta be tough. I know for myself, I'm more introverted than extroverted. How do you classify yourself? I mean I'm an introvert for sure. Yeah. yeah. Does, does that ever surprise people when you tell them that? Uh sometimes. Uh you know, I can I can get I can get up to be social. I can get up to, to interact with folks, but typically after I've had some time interacting with people, I'm exhausted. I'm I need time to by myself and I just need to just hey, I need I need I need a little bit of time to recharge. Well, it, um, what's so funny is like, where do people take energy from? Right. Is yeah. do they, do they feel energized after being with people or is that draining? That's draining for me. Me, so. me too. Or yeah. during quarantine, this was the first time I actually felt bad for extroverts mm -hmm. because all of a sudden they have to spend all this time alone and they can't recharge themselves by being around people and, right. and, and taking that. And I thought, wow, okay, what an interesting way the shoe is on the other foot. So yeah, I, I think I took, I took quarantine fairly well. But there was a time where I was like, okay, this is no not kidding. enough. Is enough. <laughs> yeah. At first I was like, it's fine. I can, I can do this. But after a while, it, I still do enjoy, you know, having close relationships and, and, and things like that. Of course. Um, I just don't necessarily love being in big groups. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm not a big partier and things like that. I don't really get into that. As someone who has done public relations professionally for the last 15 years, people are always surprised when I say I'm an introvert. And I go, look, you don't know what it takes for me to get up for some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm most comfortable being at my desk, banging out work product. Yeah, um, exactly. That That's what I'm good at. Like so, yeah. And, and yeah. like you, it's so funny. At a certain point, I got burned out on this writing thing that I was doing, and I didn't write anything for months. And then all of a sudden, dude, something just itched. Like, And mm -hmm. I go, I got to start creating again. Yeah. And I, yeah. You, I don't know what that is. You have to follow that. You have to follow that because – uh, we're the best versions of ourselves when we're, when we're being who we are, Yeah, you know, and, and the way we are, a lot of, there's not a lot, lot, not a lot of choice in that. You we're wired the way we're wired. And it, when you start going away from that, you, like for me, when I wasn't doing music for so many years, I started to fill a void. I did. I, I and I, I didn't know what it was until recently, but I was like, there's something missing in my life. And yeah, I love doing film. And I love all this stuff. There's something else missing. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, and over the, the last, I just got back in the music probably within the last six to nine months. And, and, and now I feel like, man, I got both the best, best of both worlds where I can do music. I can make film and I feel like a super human right now where I can just do whatever I want. I, I love that. That's awesome. Have you gotten the vaccine yet? Uh, not yet. Not okay. yet. Um, the vac the doctor says that there's a certain level of my white blood cells or whatever I have sure. to get to before I can get the vaccine, but we're looking at probably next month. Well, once you get that, then you'll be a super, super human. Well, I hope so. <laughs> right now, I feel like a, a, a caged lion um, yeah. because I, I just want to go out and do so many different things. I want to experience life. I, I feel like I got a second chance at life and I don't want to waste it, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. Both tracks that I've heard so far slap, and I cannot wait to hear what you come up with next. So this is the part on the show where we do plugs. Tell us what you got in the hopper, and then where can people find you? Instagram is probably the easiest way to find me. Just Terrell Lamont. You'll, you'll be able to find me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, all the, all the normal things. Uh, I have a, a movie on Amazon Prime called Hush Money. That was my, my directorial debut. Uh, I have a new new movie that we just signed a distribution deal for called Infrared Dreams. Nice. That'll come out late, later this year. It's weird. It's a sci-fi. <laughs> it's weird. But uh, if you're into that, you might you might enjoy it. And then tons of music projects coming out. It's almost too many to, to, to really talk about at this moment. But I do plan on putting out, you know, dropping singles here and there and leading up to some bigger projects later on, later on in the year. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will put that in the show notes, also in the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us. So if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, uh, you can keep up with all of your work there. And while you're there, give us a rating, give us a review, hit that subscribe button, and uh, you stay up with all of my episodes. So Terrell, this was an enormous pleasure. You are a powerhouse artist, and I wish you continued success and good health going forward. So thanks for taking the time. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me be on the show. And that'll do it for episode 286 of the John of All Trades podcast with Terrell Lamont. Thanks for taking the time with me. Cannot wait to experience more of your work. Love what I've heard so far. And I wish you good luck, good health, good fortune going forward. Can't wait till we cross paths in the real world. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. You heard me allude to digging the ditch in this week's episode? That's what I do. So if you're doing anything in the public sphere, you need to reach people. You want to communicate more effectively to your employees, outside stakeholders. I can help you develop a plan for that. Want to get a podcast going? I'm good at that too. In addition to this show, I produce three others. So I can help you conceptualize it, then I'll help you execute it. So hit me up, J-O-N at deftcom.us. That's D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Follow me on social media. That's J-O-A-T pod, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. That's available on Podcatchers Everywhere. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to your listening device. And hey, while you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. I'm out of here for this week. Great, great show this week. I've got a fun one coming up next week as well. WrestleMania just happened. You know what? Let's talk to someone who was there. My good buddy, he's been on the show before. Not going to say anything further than that. I'm really excited to bring it to you. I hope wherever you are, happy, safe, sane, fulfilled. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.